Hi there, and welcome to the 100th episode of Show Me the Crypto. We can't believe we're already at episode 100. Time has flown. It seems like yesterday that we were in December 2020 talking about launching this podcast and thinking we're going to try out a couple episodes, see how it goes. And we've loved it. It truly feels like we're just getting started. The first thing we want to say is thank you. Thank you to all of you who have watched our episodes on YouTube, who have listened to these episodes on your favorite podcast app. What we would appreciate so much if you haven't already done so, first off, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you consume our content. It really helps us out a lot. And the second thing we would ask is that you leave us a rating or a review, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts specifically, that really helps out. But thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the support. The second thing we want to mention is we have an awesome guest this week. It is Ben Cohen from Into the Cryptoverse. Alf, what did you think about this episode? Well, I've been a Ben Cohen fan for so long. I've been subscribed to his channel for years. And it was, he's been on my wish list to get on the podcast. So speaking to him and going through across the episode, he brought up various charts and talked through his various indicators, where we are in the market, where we're going, a little history of where we've been. It was so much covered in one episode. And for me, again, as a fan, it was just tons of value. So I, I loved it. Alf and I have this wish list of guests and Ben has been on it for a long time. So to have him be our 100th guest was a was such a treat and he did an awesome job. So that episode's coming right up. You're going to love it. The final housekeeping thing to mention before we jump into this episode is that we are, in celebration of 100 episodes, launching our very first NFT collection. The best way to find out new information on this is follow us on Twitter because we will be tweeting out more and more as it goes. But what we know is this. The launch is going to happen in mid-March. There's going to be a total supply of 200 or less. 100 of those are available for general mint. So not a big number. You're going to want to be watching our Twitter and make sure you jump on that launch when we do launch it. We'll have all official links through our Twitter. The price is going to be 0.05 ETH. So this is an affordable NFT. And we're not making any promises beyond a collectible. But if you know Alf and I, we've always been big fans of projects that offer utility so we'll leave it at that. You may be wondering the 200 supply, where are the others going? 100 of those are reserved to be gifts for our first 100 guests. So we want to thank them for coming on the show. So total supply of 200 to form our first collection, our first start of the Show Me the Crypto community. So with all of that said, enjoy this conversation with Ben Cohen. Show me the crypto. <laughs> show me the crypto. Show me the crypto! In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. 
Well, hi there, and welcome to the 100th episode of Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Alf Lonegrim. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Benjamin Cohen, founder of Into the Cryptoverse. While it's fair to say nobody knows exactly what is going to happen in the crypto markets, our 100th guest is as good as anyone at leveraging data to provide clarity in the markets. With a background in computational mathematics and programming and a PhD in engineering, Ben first learned about Bitcoin in 2011 while taking a cryptography course in his junior year. In 2019, Ben launched his Into the Cryptoverse YouTube channel, which has 785,000 subscribers and more than 94 million views to date. Ben, welcome to the 100th episode of Show Me the Crypto. Hey, thanks for having me and, and thanks for the, the introduction. Make me sound much better than I probably am. <laughs> no, no, we're, no we're, we're so thrilled that you're our 100th guest. We've wanted to have you on the podcast pretty much since day one, since we launched. And I want to start off by going back to 2011. So in other interviews, I've heard you talk about, unfortunately, at that time, you didn't invest in Bitcoin. That's when you learned about Bitcoin. But to play devil's advocate, how do you think your life could be different or would it be different if you had actually invested money back then in 2011? It's a good question. I think my path would have been very different. You know, part of the issue was that it's not that I, I didn't want to. It's just like you, you can't invest what you don't have, you know, and I was I was just a poor college student. Um, so it was one of those. And also at the time, it's not like it was at all remote. You know, there wasn't really this idea in my mind that Bitcoin was going to go, you know, from just a few dollars to $69,000 eventually. Like, that wasn't really anything that crossed my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, admittedly, had I had I invested in it, I suppose that I might not have gone to, you know, through the same path that I did. I mean, you know, I, I ended up going to to grad school and I ended up getting a job as a postdoc. Um it's it's kind of hard to imagine taking that same path if you know if if I had made a, a a timely investment in Bitcoin and and then watched it go up so much because I mean even in even in 2011 we had a pretty massive bull run and then in in 2013 we had a pretty massive bull run and I started grad school in 2013 so I have to imagine that my life probably would have been somewhat different I I might have focused more on on financial markets back then and and you know maybe starting to create my own content for it um but that's not you know that's obviously not what happened and it, it took a little while to to actually get some money to invest in the market um but yeah i, I have to imagine I, I probably would not have gone to grad school i would not have done a postdoc um and you know maybe maybe i would have been more involved in in sort of the you know the publicly anyways in the crypto community before because I didn't launch my channel until 2019 and and that was that was after learning some painful lessons over a couple cycles and and just thinking hey maybe I can try to um, at least help some people out with some of the lessons that I've learned but yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard to know with a hypothetical um, but because so many I'm sure so many and the other question too is I you know maybe I would have watched it go up. And and gotten really excited about it, uh, not gone through with some of my prior plans, and then watch Bitcoin crash ninety five percent. You know, exactly. so yeah. there, there's all there's always other ways to look at it too. So maybe it's better I didn't and 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 
continued on with my with my path. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we know that Bitcoin is is can be brutal in the path that it's that it takes, even though historically the general direction is is up. <laughs> well, it's funny because we've we've asked similar questions to many of our guests and some of them who were around and did invest in 2011 i mean it's easy to think that well if i had only gotten in bitcoin you know back in the early days i'd be so rich and i'd be i you know everything would have been different but what we've heard a lot of the time is even for those who actually did invest they ended up getting out and so even though they invested, it doesn't mean they were in it for the long haul, because back then, I mean, there were still huge movements, but there wasn't as much maybe conviction from a lot of people that this is going to stick around. So, yeah, right. I mean, who knows, right? Maybe it still wouldn't have been as uh, life changing as one might predict. Well, the other the other point, too, is even if I had put money in, it would have been a relatively small amount that, you yeah. know, I mean. Like if you put a hundred dollars in and it goes up a hundred x, like it, it's it's good money, but it's not going to like change your life type yeah. of money. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, it's always a good point. So what about between that twenty eleven and twenty nineteen? You know, we got many years in there. Can you maybe get into more detail about everything that did transpire personally and professionally uh, leading from that time you discovered Bitcoin to when you launched into the cryptoverse? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so 2011, I, that was right around the, that was my junior year in, in college. And that was also the, so I did an internship at, at NASA Johnson Space Center uh, that spring. So I was a bit more preoccupied with that than investing, you know, than investing money. And I was just focused on trying to, you know, work up my resume to get into grad school. Um, but I was still interested in, in crypto. And, and honestly, cryptography was an elective. It was like, I, my undergrad was in mathematics, minor in physics, and cryptography was an elective. It's not a class I had to take, uh, but I wanted to take it because I, I thought it was interesting. And so that was what, you know, really piqued my interest um, in crypto, in, in the crypto. And, and it's funny because, you know, crypto back then too, didn't necessarily mean like cryptocurrency. Like it, it can also mean other you know, just cryptography um, as well. But yeah, so so then you get into 2013. I, I went to grad school for nuclear engineering. I started off with a master's in it and we watched the markets. I mean, I, you know, we very close <laughs> watching Bitcoin. I remember watching it with a fellow grad student um, back in, in 2013. And we were like freaking out as it was plummeting down. Uh, this was after the second peak. So I don't know if you're the, the 2013 double peak cycle. We had one massive blow off top. And I think everyone thought it was done. And I, you know, I thought it was too. And then another, uh, you know, another crazy move to the upside. And, you know, I, I watched how how quickly, you know, wealth can come and go. And, and you know, you, you, you think, you always think this time is different and it's going to just keep going out forever. And then it ultimately came back down. So, you know, I just continued doing what I was doing. I mean, I was in grad school. Um, uh, my PhD again was in nuclear engineering. So I, I did a master's first, and then I, I, I continued on with a PhD. And, um, and then as we got onto the next cycle, so we had the next cycle, you know, by 2014, and and really into 2015, I, I still wasn't really that convinced that, that it was still going to keep going up, because it you know, you think about these these bubbles that form, and we all look back at it in hindsight now, and it's it seems so obvious. 
But in 2014, it really, I would say by 2015, right? Because in 2014, I, I was still somewhat optimistic because I'm like, all right, well, it's a bear market. It's not going to last forever. But then in 2015, you know, it wasn't like 2019. It was, we basically just scraped the lows for a year. And it was, it was brutal. We put in a low in January. And then we then came and put in another low. Um, you know, on some exchanges, it was slightly lower. On some, it was slightly higher. It was more or less double bottom by August of 2015. And I just was like, you know, how long is this thing going to go on for where the price is trending down? Because it seems like it should go up. I mean, it seems like such a great technology. So why is it not going up? Yeah. Um, so again, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't super, super convinced and, and, um, but I still was interested. I mean, I still was interested in crypto and, and, um, and, and navigating, navigating it, even though I'd been burned on it. Um, and that was also when Ethereum was introduced. And, you know, I remember watching Ethereum go up to like $14 and then it kind of scared me because then it like had a pretty quick pullback to like 50% pullback down to like $7. And I thought, all right so much for that. And then it went up to $1,400. Um, so, you know, during this whole time, I mean, it was it was crazy to watch, but I, I just continued on doing the grad school stuff because I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know really what my future was going to be. And I, I certainly didn't think that anyone cared what I had to say about crypto. Uh, I, and I, I I was looking at at crypto YouTube back then. Uh, crypto Twitter didn't even really exist. I mean, not many people talked about it. A few people, but not, not very many. Um, Crypto YouTube, there were, you know, there were some larger channels uh, that that really started to explode in the 2016, 2017 bull market. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed is that um, it, it was hard. It was I felt like it was hard to find uh, content that was unbiased, I guess. Um, and I even struggle. I mean, I struggle with that myself even today. It's uh, it's it can be hard not making content that isn't biased in some manner because I'm always going to be somewhat biased according to my own view of what's going to happen, and so it's hard to to show it from a different perspective sometimes. So I I, I figured, hey, I would create a channel um, and 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 talk about crypto. But this was after I I graduated, so I was like, I really want to create a channel. I really want to talk about crypto. But I knew that if I started one before I graduated. I would probably be hard pressed to finish my dissertation. I was like, how can I do both? Because as you guys know, I mean, this is a a, a quite time consuming job, um, you know, to put out regular content and and engage with the community. And then also, you know, to basically have a full time job doing a, um, um, you know, graduate degree. So I waited until after 2018. And then I was going to start one. And then I started a postdoc. And I was like, well, I can't start a YouTube channel now. now I have to work on my postdoc. Uh, so I waited, I, I waited till after uh, about a year after so uh, one year after my postdoc started, and I felt fairly comfortable with my work. And, um, I, you know, I didn't have to burn the candle on both ends, just trying to keep up with, you know, the, with the work I was trying to get done. I, I then decided to start a YouTube channel in in mid 2019. Um, but <laughs> You know, not a lot of people know this, but and I don't know, maybe it's the first time I said it. Um, but in mid 2019, I didn't start my channel talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. You know, that was not what I started. And, and one of the reasons is is because I was told by someone that everyone already spoke about that and no one cared about, you know, it, it, the market was already saturated with content about about Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. So I ended up talking about other stuff, um, you know, other other cryptocurrencies, smaller market cap cryptocurrency projects. 
that you won't find on my channel anymore. Uh, <laughs> just just because I I, I don't I, I don't want to promote small market cap projects at this point. I just feel like it could lead it could lead people to you know to um, making certain assumptions about me. And I, I feel like as you know with a with a larger channel now, I have different responsibilities than I did back then. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I and then I switched over. You know, I, I switched over to talking about Ethereum. And and Bitcoin in Q3 of 2019 because I was like, all right, this seems like a good time to get into the market. I mean, Ethereum's Bitcoin value, the Ether Bitcoin valuation was at like 0.017, and and that was the first real video that I did on my channel where I was like, all right, guys, you know, like this is severely undervalued and it's likely going to go up a lot. Bitcoin's likely going to go up a lot. This is the time to get in. Um, and then the other rest is history. I mean, we 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 continued down a little bit in 2019, surged back up in early 2020. And then you know what happened in March. I mean, you know, the floor we could basically everyone got rugged essentially, um, and and it actually created a, a really nice opportunity, I think, for people who had missed the December 2018 bottom. It, it gave them a second chance. One thing we know about uh, about crypto with after a bear market and an accumulation phase, it it often gives us more than one opportunity to get in, right? So you don't really have an excuse uh, if if you just fail to pull the trigger at any point. Look at 2015. You had you had the entire year to get into the market, and really two tests of the low. 2018 we had a low. 2020 we had a slightly higher low, but some cryptocurrencies actually put in a lower low in in 2020. A lot of the altcoins um, actually went quite a bit lower. So you know, and then once I started talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, my channel started to pick up pace a little bit. And then we had you know we had 2020 with the drop. And uh, you know, I don't think anyone knew what was going to happen after that. I mean, it was it took everyone by surprise. And then after that, I mean, the the Fed just printed you know six trillion dollars, and I mean, everything went up, and it was hard not to make money in in, in late twenty 2020 twenty and early twenty twenty one. Like you could throw a dart at a board with any coin on it, and probably would have made money back then. Uh, but yeah, that's that's essentially my story. And 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 I, I ended up quitting my my job in um in January of twenty twenty one actually. So I waited until. January 2021. I wanted to be sure that, you know, that because I mean, I'd spent my entire life to get this job. Um, I'd recently been converted from a postdoc to a staff scientist at the at the lab I was working at. And so it was a very difficult decision to give up that job because I just spent the last decade of my life like studying to get this job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just realized that you know, doing this was a full-time job and I, I could not do both in an effective manner. Like I had to give up one. So I, I ended up giving up that job and I haven't regretted it at all. I mean, there are times, uh, of course, where, you know, the trolls come out and I'm like, ah, you know, is this really <laughs> what I signed? Is this really what I signed up for? Um, but then, you know, usually the um, things will get, you know, things get better slowly and we go into another, another phase of the cycle. I'm trying to think back to 2019 and figure out what, smaller altcoins you would have been focused on at that yeah. time <laughs> trying to do the math but uh are, are those yeah, I, are those secret vaulted away or can you share that with us um yeah so some of them i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say because they've just they've gone into the into the sort of the depths of the cryptoverse never yeah. to be heard from again <laughs> yeah. but but the one of them actually the you might have heard of so i so, so one of the one of the ones that I made a video, a few videos on way back, uh, was was a coin called Phantom, mm. um, and I mean this was when it was trading. I mean it was it was very low market cap back then. I mean like it wasn't anywhere close to what it is today. I mean look at uh, I don't even remember what the what the price of it was in in 2019, but um, 
it was it was very low. Let me let me take a look here. Yeah, I mean, it was at like 0. 0.003, like not even a penny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So like I I I made I made you know a couple of videos on that one and a couple of videos on on a few other ones. Um, and then I was just like, you know what? Like, while these are all fun to speculate on uh privately, I don't really know that I want my public reputation tied to, you know, to um these micro caps. And I mean, uh, you know, Phantom today is not even really much, it's not as much of a micro cap as it was back then. Mm. Um, but I just wasn't, I wasn't really wanting to go that direction. So um yeah, I mean, there's there was and, and it wasn't like a lot. It was, it was basically just like that summer, like June. I started the channel in June, made a couple of videos like June, July. August and then and then September was when I just started talking about like Ethereum and and Bitcoin and and even some other ones like XRP. You'll find those you know you'll find those videos on my channel as well. Litecoin uh, was was one I talked more about back then as well. So you launch in June and at that point, what are your expectations? Because you obviously know that there that this is going to take work. It's going to take time to do it well, but. 2019 till now is not that long of a time and you're at you're approaching 1 million subscribers like almost at 800,000 what were your expectations like in June was it just I'm going to help a few people so they don't fall into the same bull market bear market traps that that I've experienced or did you ever envision it could get to this level no, I never thought I would get to this level. And I wasn't even looking at it. When I first started, it was it was sort of like, all right, I want to make a, a you know some content to help some people. But in my mind, some people was like a hundred people. You know, it wasn't <laughs> a lot. I mean, it was just like, I just want to be able to talk to a few people and and you know, provide my outlook. And then by September, I I kind of recognized that it was time to give the blue chips more um you know, just more, more airtime, you know, yeah. just talk about them more. Because one thing I go back to is in, if we have a bull market, we know Bitcoin and Ethereum did well, but there are times where Bitcoin does well, where the rest of the market doesn't necessarily do well. Um, and, and their, their altcoin Bitcoin valuations can go down. And, and so, yeah, I mean, like I started off and I only made like one or two videos a week for for a few months. And I would even I, I mean, even though I would only make like one, even though I would only put out one or two videos a week, I would like pre-record them. I would like because the market didn't move. I mean, you could literally go to oh, another coin I talked about was um uh nano. I don't know if you guys right. know that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was back when it was, you know, I first started following it more what was Ry- um uh, the the Ryblox or whatever on um um, I mean, what, way back in the day. I mean, this was yeah. this was way back in the day. But yeah, so I, I I essentially just made a few videos on on these you know these different altcoins, and I would just I would make them and then literally just schedule them out for like three weeks in advance because the market wasn't moving and no one knew. You know, like the the price didn't move from like one month to another, so I could just make a video, you know, do it all in like one night and then just set them to release over a long period of time. And, you know, it took me about six months to go from zero subscribers to 500 subscribers. It took about mm-hmm. six months because, I mean, no one no one cared about what I had to say. Um, there are plenty of other YouTube channels that had much larger followings than me. And and so, you know, I'm just some new schmuck on the block who you know, thinks he's smart. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then, you know, then I started talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I, I think because because there is much more of a, an audience for those cryptocurrencies, 
that was why my channel took off. It was because like I was doing the same type of stuff that I do with Bitcoin and Ethereum, but I was just doing it on altcoins. And it's just like no one cared. You know, that was the thing that just no one cared because now people love altcoins, right? But in 2019, I mean, altcoins were just, they were dead for the most part, you know? I mean, again, like the, the price would just go sideways for a year with a slightly bearish bias. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, and then in in, um, in October, um, so after my channel had been around for, you know, five months or so, I, I made a video on Ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin. And then, you know, it took me like five mo- five or six months to get to 500 subscribers. And then by that Christmas, by so by by December, or actually on December 31st of that year, I hit 10,000 subscribers. So I got like 9,000 subscribers in like two months. Wow. Uh, and then in, and then it just continued to slowly grow, you know, like throughout 2020, I slowly got to 20,000 and then 30,000. But then by 2021, I mean, I was getting, at one point I was getting 100,000 subscribers in a month um, just because, I mean, it, it's a bubble, right? And and uh, everyone, everyone joins in. So, you know, that was kind of where I was and and then it and then by you know by 2021 I was like all right yeah I guess this is my full-time job now <laughs> yeah for those who have been listening to your channel for uh a number of years like myself they might remember back in the day uh, this was I can't remember exactly when I started following you but I think it was probably around that time like um uh the maybe winter of 20 or you know 2020 coming around kind of thing and so your channel is still probably relatively new but when things were maybe starting to pick up and i remember in the comments it was it was kind of funny because your channel was obviously growing fast it was getting good attention and you could see when you kind of know when like a real community starting to build because people in the comment section start bantering and talking about things that are maybe they see in it's like commonalities throughout your videos. And one of the things that sticks out to me that I recall is you had and no hate, but you had a terrible webcam. It was either your webcam or your audio. It was so bad, but, but it was was both. Oh yeah, it was both. It was both. Okay. But it was so funny because your content was so good. It didn't matter. Like everybody loved you walking through the chart and, and it was a point of view that I don't think you really found on other channels. And that's probably part of your success. But the comments were always hilarious because it was like, you know, just taking jabs at like, what, when's this guy going to upgrade his webcam and all this stuff? You know, but, the funny uh, thing, yeah. even today, like the, the camera that I'm using, this is my this is my internal uh, camera on my laptop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my MacBook Pro camera and the microphone is the internal mic on the laptop. <laughs> so like the only reason it sounds better I think than it did back then is because um like like I upgraded to a newer laptop and and I cuz like my laptop that I was using was like like 5 years old or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but now I have like an, a new laptop and I I actually did get a mic that I used for a little while. It, it's actually this one here but I I don't even use it. It's not even plugged in like I don't even <laughs> use it. Um so I just I just use the internal one on this on this MacBook Pro and I mean like it's it's great right it's I, I mean I'm not here to I'm not here to pump up Apple but I mean like you know it's for a for a you know for a fifteen hundred dollar laptop the ability to just make videos and and um have an internal mic that is at least 
usable and, and doesn't get me as much flack in the comments as it did yeah. back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's come a long way for sure. But I, and my, I was going to lead into, you know, how have things changed aside from a better laptop, uh, you know, going from that time when you started till now, just in terms of how your contents evolved and maybe the not, you know, I've obviously we talked about you talking more about some altcoins in the very beginning, but aside from just the, the assets you were analyzing, uh, how has your content evolved and the way you approach your material? I would say it's, I, I'd like to think it's a bit more professional. Um, back then, I also, if you if you listen to my videos back then, I did not speak with much confidence because I, I was still, I mean, even after living through the last couple of cycles, you still don't know. Um, what's going to happen? And we still don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we we think we know, but we don't know. I mean, we you know, no one really knows what's going to happen. Um, so I, I think that was one thing: trying to speak with a bit more confidence in what I thought, and 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 also, you know, like you know, trying to admit when I'm wrong about things, which which does happen uh, quite quite frequently. I think when you when you start off, you you know, your 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 reputation is constantly on the line for you know trying to get things right. But by this point. Um, you know, I've I've gotten enough things right and enough things wrong to know that like it's just going to keep being like that. I mean, I'm going to get some things right, I'm going to get some things wrong, and try not to try not to dwell on it too much. Um, it's just the nature of the of the game that we play, and um, and then I, I think another thing is I, I I think I'm more risk averse than I was back then. I mean, not not just in not talking about altcoins because I think a lot of people think that I just never. Uh, like I'm not interested in altcoins. It's not true. Like just because I don't talk about them doesn't mean I don't have them. Um, but I, I would say I'm more risk averse than I was back then. So like back then, myself personally, I was more so in like wealth creation mode, like just trying to create wealth. Um, but after you've gone through a couple bull markets and 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 really like I would say, I mean, so the first the first cycle gets you completely wrecked, right? You just you basically lose all your money because you know you think at this time is different. The second cycle you go through, I, I think you're able to take, you're able to make some good decisions, right? You're able to take some profits, uh, especially if you stuck around through the bear market and the accumulation phase, just because you know how hard it was and you know those times are going to return eventually. And so the third cycle, um, you get a bit better at it. And, and, and you know, like I, I in, in this last cycle, it kind of still, I mean, it still took me off guard a little bit. Like the, the parabolic rally happened, mm -hmm. you know, sooner than I thought it was going to. But as I say, you know, never let a good bubble go to waste. You don't know when they're going to occur. So when they do occur, you want to sell into them. Um, so we had the, you know, that rally into into March and April. And I, I offloaded most of my crypto. And it was it was really difficult because this was still back when the 100K narrative was really hot. And not even the 100K narrative, but the 300K narrative was really was really hot and that was difficult and i remember you know i remember thinking like i'm gonna get left behind like i i've here here i am selling all my crypto and, and bitcoin's not even 100k yet and then we had the summer pull we had the summer lull right in 2021 and i i you know i started to accumulate again and then i mean if i'm being completely honest right the 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 the, the secondary peak i did not get like i mean like i got the first one but the second one really took me by surprise and it took me until january uh, to really recognize it. Um, and I would say a lot of those things have just sort of made me more risk averse than than I used to be. And I, I but I would encourage people to not necessarily follow what I, I mean, I think we all have a different path to take. Um, you know, investing is very much a personal journey. What's right for you is probably not what's right for me. And what's right for me is not going to be what's right for someone who is maybe 
like about to retire because they're not going to take on as much risk as I am. Um, so I would say my my content has evolved somewhat in a in a manner that is suiting my own personal direction, which is being more risk averse and and trying to focus more on what is the downside risk rather than than just not focusing on it. Um, I mean, think back to March of 2020. I mean, I, I don't really feel like a lot of people were were focused too much on the downside risk because we had a lot of things that had flashed, right? Like the hash ribbons had flashed. Um, we had already had, you know, we had already had our December, our December low and from 2018. And, and so I try to, I, I try to focus a bit more on the downside risk just because I, I think, it, you know, it's, it's easy to, to see your portfolio go up at various phases. What's harder is keeping those gains. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, you have to constantly consider like, what is the downside risk? Maybe I should take some off the table in case of, you know, in case some of these altcoins go down. I mean, this is not, this is not like a, you know, the S and P 500, where it generally trends up with time, right? Like Bitcoin trends up with time and hopefully Ethereum and some altcoins, but a lot of altcoins don't. I mean, they just, they kind of have one hurrah and that's it. And, you know, you can spend five years waiting for them to hit all new all-time highs, but most of them are not going to. So you have to recognize that and and you have to. Um, and, and so for me personally, I've become, I've become more risk averse and some things haven't changed. Like my thumbnails haven't changed at all. I mean, I still just go into something like PowerPoint or something and just throw something together. Um, because I don't, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's not as, in, you know, not as important to spend too much time on that. But yeah, I mean, that's probably, probably my answer. It, one of the coolest things about having you, Ben, for our 100th guest is that we get to kind of take a step back and, and look at like where we are right now in terms of, of the actual markets. And it's an interesting time. We're recording this in mid-February to late February. It's going to be released February 27th. But just in terms of, of what we've been seeing, like where are we right now? Obviously, bear market was kind of the feel of the answer, but recently we've had kind of a little bit of an upswing. So kind of from the 1,000-foot the level, 10,000-foot level, where where are we right now in terms of the markets? Yeah, sure. So let me share my screen. All right. Can you see my screen? Yeah. 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 So this is like a um this is an interesting indicator that you know, I have. And it, it's basically like a, a total indicator risk for Bitcoin. And there's a lot of different risk metrics you can find out there. Some are based on you know, like the extension from the 200 week moving average. I know some people look at that as 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 where we are in terms of the cycle. But, you know, this cycle has showed us that we can go well below the 200 week moving average and um, doesn't necessarily mean anything. And so this risk metric, what it does is it takes into account three different things, price metrics, on on chain metrics, and social metrics. And the point is to say, you know, like, I don't know what the most important one is. We could look at any metric, and you know, if you go back to June of um of 2022, a lot of people thought that was the bottom, right? 17.5 seemed like a a decent bottom for a lot of people, but it was very similar to what we saw in 2018, where we we saw a bottom in June, and then we had another another lower low in November. And and my speculation for this cycle, and I said this back in the summer, was that I don't think June's the bottom, but I think the next low could be. Worst case scenario, it would be a low after that is is sort of the worst case scenario that I can imagine. Because from a from a time based perspective, I mean, Bitcoin's gone through a pretty typical bear market. If you think back to 2014, uh, 25, so the 2014 bear market was from November to January. 2018 was December to December, and then 2022 was arguably from November to November. 
of you know 2021 to November 2022. So from a time-based perspective in terms of the bear market, it seems like it 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 could be close to running its course. I think the the main reason to even put any consideration towards a potential lower low eventually or a worst case outcome is we've never, you know, Bitcoin's never really experienced a a recession before. And I, you know, I'm in the camp that we're not in a recession. Like we haven't been in a recession. And I know you can look at two consecutive quarters of negative GDP back in the first half of 2022 and say that that was when we were in a recession. But I mean, historically, recessions occur when when you see the economy really break down and you see the unemployment rate go up. And we haven't seen that. I mean, the, the job market, the labor market has remained secularly tight. I mean, we just put in a new secular low on 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 the unemployment rate at 3.4% for this business cycle. So I think the main risk we run is just the Federal Reserve is, is sort of where we are right now. From a crypto perspective, what normally needs to get washed out, I think most of it has been washed out. You know, you had FTX, you had um, Luna, Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, Genesis. I mean, a lot of these things have come have come to pass. And in the grand scheme of things, when you think about how significant the meltdown was by FTX, and we only put in a low of, of around $2,000 lower, what it shows, I think, is that the contagion events are mo- have mostly run their course, if not entirely run their course. Now, if another major exchange were to go down, I, I, I don't think it would be fun. I mean, I, I think we would, you know, we would go back down pretty quite quickly and and retest some of these levels. But the main risk, I think, to crypto right now, because we always have to consider what it is, um, is probably just you know, does the Federal Reserve push us into a recession? In the context of history, it was all it's basically always been the Federal Reserve pushing us into a recession by by tightening financial. Uh, tightening, you know, creating, having monetary policy that just pushes us there. And the reason we're more likely to experience something like that this time is because inflation is something that they're fighting. Under most circumstances, they would have pivoted like eight months ago. You know, the, the first sign of anything going bad, they just pivot. So when I look at this metric, the, the purpose was to try to identify, you know, what is the risk in the market at any given time? And so the whole idea is that essentially it goes from zero to one, and zero historically low risk, one is historically high risk. And it includes three different things, price, on-chain, and social risk. The price risk is made up of, of a risk metric specifically for Bitcoin based on its own volatility. The total market cap risk, uh, logarithmic regression model for Bitcoin, logarithmic regression model for uh, the, the, the total cryptocurrency market cap, which is which is actually this chart right here. So that's included in it as well. It's also made up of a corridor that I created uh, the fear and greed index. A lot of people know what the fear and greed index is, so that that also goes into this. And then the on chain, the on chain stuff is is the NVRVZ score, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. The PL multiple, the NVRV score, the the minor cap to thermal cap ratio, transaction fees, the market cap to thermal cap ratio, the terminal price, and then the social statistics that go into this are subscribers to YouTube channels. You know, um, like new subscribers. So I, I track not only new subscribers to my channel but also subscribers to other channels as well and and just kind of see what's happening. And and right now, we're not really seeing a whole lot of growth. I mean, you know, there's just not a lot of new people coming into crypto right now, which is very similar to 2019 and very similar to 2015. You know, it's just a fairly boring year. Yes, we've had a 60% pump in Bitcoin, but, you know, we had a a 4x move in Bitcoin in 2019 and, and we still ended up coming back down, you know, in the latter part of the year. So... 
you combine all of these into a single risk metric, and, and this is what you get. So what does it show us? You know, what does it show us, I guess, is the question. Well, I mean, it shows us that we've been at some pretty low risk levels. And in the grand scheme of things, 0.252 risk is relatively low. It's not the lowest it's ever gone, and it's not the lowest that it could go, but it is a relatively low level. And the lowest we've gone so far this cycle is around 0.117 risk. Now, this is if you include all three components, the price, the on-chain, and the social component. So the one thing I'd point out, though, if you remove the social risk from it, right? And by the way, the social risk also includes YouTube views to crypto channels, followers to popular cryptocurrency analysts on Twitter, followers to cryptocurrency exchanges on Twitter, and followers to layer ones on, on Twitter. So it includes all these things. If you turn the social risk off completely, you can see that the risk level went lower. So if we ignore that component completely, it went lower. It still hasn't gone as low as it has in prior cycles, but it it got really close. You know, it got really close back in um, you know back in the November December timeframe. So you know, you could argue that that there has been a lot of pain felt. And again, from a macro perspective, I don't think anyone who bought Bitcoin at 15k is going to be feeling that much pain. Even I mean, right now, of course, they're not. But two years from now, I I think they're they're going to be doing quite well. Is is frankly my opinion. I think the only risk is you know does the Fed push us into a recession? And I I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, there's a lot of topic or a lot of discussion about whether we're going to have a soft landing or a hard landing. We know that the Fed's not normally that great at achieving a, um, a, a soft landing, even though it has occurred I think a couple times. So I think that's where we are right now. I mean, we're we're basically in a choppy year where I think both sides are going to get wrecked. I think the bulls are going to get wrecked and the bears are getting wrecked. And the bears are getting wrecked right now, right? And that's the, that's the truth, right? The bears have been getting wrecked um, for essentially the, you know, the last two months. And what history shows us is that um, the year after, like say this, so the year after 2014, and which was 2015, and you know 2019, and then 2023, my guess is that we're going to spend about half the year getting the bears wrecked and half the year getting the bulls wrecked. And, and the, the, I think it accomplishes something. Because in, in 2014, 2018, and 2022, it was basically just down only. You know, I mean, it was just more or less just slowly going down. But in the in the years following that, we tend to just sort of chop people up, you know, like their portfolios. Because people who were bearish back in November or December because they were hoping for a recession right away, they're completely wrecked, right? And and people who might be in that camp who then FOMO in at a new local high could then just spend the next several months watching us go back down. And so I think what we're likely going to see is just a lot of choppy price action for the rest of this year, where we could go a bit higher, but I also think it's possible we go lower, you know, a bit lower as well. And we just sort of chop everyone's portfolios up for the entirety of the year. And then once we get into um into 2024. And um, I, I think we're we're likely going to see things really take a more sustained, you know, take a sustained directional shift where we actually start to to trend higher and 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 can actually start talking about you know forty k again and and fifty k again. And I know some people are optimistic that we're going to see those prices this year, um, but it, it, history shows us that that you know the S and P doesn't tend to bottom until after the Fed pivots or at least around the Fed pivot during high inflation. Um, and, and we haven't seen that yet, right? Like the, the Fed hasn't pivoted yet. So it might be too premature to sort of put on our rally caps to new all-time highs. But I, I would say, you know, 
this year, I, I think is going to test both sides. It's going to test the Bears. It's going to test the Bulls. And then as we get out to next year, we can kind of see things aligning again, right? The Fed will pivot. We're going to have another Bitcoin halving. Um, and 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 hopefully, you know, we'll be going back into a period of quantitative easing where we'll, where we will just slowly um, start to trend back up. And I, I can continue on, but I'll just I'll just pause there to see if you have some questions. Sure. No, I, I've always been a fan of your risk analysis. I think one of the things that I loved when I started following your channel was your risk metric and your um, how you would talk about DCA into your investment with the support of the risk metric as a way to sort of adjust how much you're DCAing in. And that was always uh, seemed like such a logical approach to DCAing rather than just putting the same amount in at all times. Why not do it with a little bit more strategy to it? And and looking at this chart, I think it's uh, amazing the tool you've built. So what I'd like to kind of move into is maybe you can show us a few more of just like what are your what are your favorite charts and indicators to look at to help you in assessing the market? Or what do you even just enjoy talking about and sharing with your audience the most? And maybe you can just, uh, yeah, talk and show us through a few of these. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the, the DCA approach is, is, I think, the best approach. I, I you know, I, we can, we can, you know, people squabble for forever about trying to call the bottom to the day. But the truth is, is that a DCA approach is right. And I think a dynamic DCA, as you said, where you put in, you know, you try to weight them more towards the lower risk levels, right? And that that is one of the things. Like, if you think about DCAing, you know, if you if you if you DCA even starting in June, right? Even even though we we ended up going lower, you're still doing well now. Um, and the other side of it is, if you never DCA and you're just sitting in a hundred percent cash, then what happens when we get moments like this? Do, do, you know, do those people then buy the new local top because they didn't, you know, they didn't DCA in at lower prices, or do they just sit and wait and hope the price comes back down? Which I mean, I do think we will see some moves back to the downside this year, but it, it's very painful if if you're in hundred percent cash to um, sort of experience that. And so, you know, one of the one of the things I, I'd like to mention though is I I'm very much in the mindset of Bitcoin is is sort of I, I think should be the focus right now, not the altcoin market, mainly because I and this is this is, um, it's probably one of my more polarizing views on my channel is the dominance of Bitcoin, I think is a very important metric on helping us understand the health of the altcoin market. So this is the dominance when you include stable coins, or sorry, 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 this is the dominance when you include stable coins. And and you can see that it had been moving slightly lower for, you know, for a while. And um, and a lot of people were, you know, we're still seeing altcoins pop and, and whatnot. But my sort of thesis is that Bitcoin makes by far the most amount of sense until you see the dominance at a much higher level. Think about, you know, this alt season over here. So this was when the dominance was, you know, back at 85% in, in February 2017. And we saw it drop off a cliff, you know, down to 43%. And then over here, we saw the dominance dropped from 70% down to, you know, less than 40%. But everyone, you know, a lot of people are interested in alt season. Look, you can see altcoins go up, you know, even in a bear market. We have plenty of bear market rallies in altcoins and, and we had plenty in 2018 and plenty in 2019 and still some put in new lows in 2020. So if you're just an altcoin holder, you sort of just slowly saw your portfolio go down and down and down until finally the Fed 
got to a period of, of a lot of quantitative easing where they just printed a lot of money. But when you remove stable coins from this metric, this is what the chart looks like. And, and, and just to sort of go back and forth, what it shows you is that the dominance of Bitcoin has been going up and putting in higher lows since May of 2021. So this is excluding the stablecoin market. So are there a few altcoins that have outperformed Bitcoin during the bear market or have at least kept pace with it? Definitely. You know, Matic is a good example of that, where it, it, it's actually right now, I think it's right up at its range high that it's been at. And, it, you know, it's I, I don't remember exactly what it was Um but it's it it has basically just been range bound, and and right now it's near the range high. But a lot of the altcoin market has just been bleeding back to Bitcoin. Look at the Solana Bitcoin valuation. Look at the ADA Bitcoin valuation, the DOT Bitcoin valuation, the Avalanche Bitcoin valuation, and we could go on and on and on. I mean, most of these not only are they down ninety percent or eighty percent on their USD pairs, they're down fifty or sixty percent on their Bitcoin pairs. And and what it shows me when I look at this chart is I I think the dominance is is really building out a base and. And so the reason I look at this, because I think about what type of risk do I want to take on in the market? Is it, you know, I know crypto is risky. And and I I mean, I see what the Federal Reserve is doing. I see the yield curves inverted. Do I really want to put a lot of my money in the altcoin market when I think Bitcoin will outperform? And this is not to say that every altcoin has to put in a new low. The, the truth of the matter is that some of them won't. I mean, some of them have, there's already, I'm sure, some of them that have bottomed on their USD pairs. But the, the thing is, is that, just because they bottomed their USD pairs does not mean they bottomed on their Bitcoin pairs. And so if we think about if we think about this from like a risk adjusted returns point of view, and we go, you know, we look at something like modern portfolio theory, which is, you know, more of a traditional thing that, that people have used. This is this is a, a Monte Carlo simulation of portfolios consisting of Bitcoin and Ethereum since 2015. And the whole idea is to figure out you know, what portfolio maximizes my risk adjusted returns and, and which one minimizes my volatility. And, and you can see, you know, the, the Sharpe ratio is maximized at, right now at, at 65% Bitcoin port portfolio, 35% ETH. Or sorry, this is the one that maximizes the Sortino ratio, which does not punish positive volatility. But again, 67% Bitcoin, 33% ETH. Now, I'm actually much heavier in Bitcoin than this. Um, if you look at the portfolio that minimizes your volatility, it's actually 93% Bitcoin and 7% ETH. And the way this works is you essentially have an expected return versus your volatility. And, and you can think about volatility as the risk that you're taking on. And so the way you read this chart is you say, all right, well, let's imagine my portfolio is 65% Bitcoin and 35% ETH. It's not. Well, let's just imagine it is. Then my expected annual return, just based on what has historically happened in the market, is 65% annually, plus or minus about 80%. So my expected annual return could be anywhere from like negative 20% up to like 150% or something. And, and it's likely going to fall within those bounds to within one standard deviation or a 68% probability. The reason this is important is because if you want to take on more risk, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, right? If you want to take on more risk, you go higher up the curve, right? Higher up the efficient frontier. You go to a higher expected return at the expense of more volatility. So you, you're, you're paying for that return with more units of risk. And there's always a chance that it, it burns you in the end and you end up seeing a huge drawdown just because you took on too much risk. But as you go up the curve, as you go up the efficient frontier, you'll notice that the percentage going to Ethereum is higher and going to Bitcoin is lower. And all the way at the top over here, it's like, you know, 
1% Bitcoin or 0% Bitcoin and 100% ETH. But at the, at the bottom down here, it's mostly Bitcoin and less Ethereum. So again, this, this really shows you that there's not a right answer to you know, what your portfolio should be. It's more so, you know, what is the risk that you're willing to take on? Um, and, and, I, and I couple this chart with the Bitcoin dominance. And to me, if I'm convinced that the dominance is going to head higher, and I'm, and I'm also fairly risk averse, and I don't want to take on a lot of risk, it would make sense for me personally to be more focused on, on having a Bitcoin heavy crypto portfolio rather than like, say, an altcoin heavy crypto portfolio. And I don't really consider Ethereum at all. I mean, I do consider it a blue chip, and I, I think it's it's actually going to do quite well next cycle. Um, I just think that you know we're we're sort of out of phase right now, where I, I still do I'm I'm still of the opinion that that Bitcoin is a is a safer play, and and it's it's more so worth the risk than than the altcoin market. And if you made me choose a second one, then I would I would choose Ethereum. I mean, I, I would just simply choose the blue chips. Um, if you add you know if you add altcoins into the mix your risk is going to go way up, you know, like it, it, it just simply goes way up. And again, you couple, you couple a chart like this with, um, with, you know, a chart where you're looking at, at the Bitcoin dominance and, and not including stable coins and, and say, take a moving average of this. It, it sort of just looks like the dominance to me is building out a really large base to go much higher. And, and I think this is going to be on a number of different things. I mean, I, I think altcoins will bleed back to Bitcoin. But remember, the dominance can go higher in two scenarios, right? The dominance can go higher because Bitcoin's just going up quicker than the altcoin market. And that's basically what's happened for the last two months. The dominance has gone higher, not because Bitcoin's going down, but because Bitcoin's going up and the rest of the market can't, a lot of the market can't keep up. And then what happens when Bitcoin goes back down? At this stage of the cycle, like when you're, you know, in sort of the 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 year after the main bear market year, but the year before the halving year, the altcoins still tend to to sort of give those gains back to Bitcoin, um, and so that that's kind of where I stand. And, and these are probably the two most important, you know, two of the more important charts to me. Uh, the other one you could look at is, and should I? I can pause for a minute if you want me to take a breather. No, keep rolling. All right. So yeah, this, so this chart here is the total market cap of crypto, um, and and this really shows you that we go through periods of undervaluation and overvaluation. And right now, it's just a period of undervaluation. No matter how you slice it, no matter, you know, how we how we draw the lines, I think we are, we could argue that, you know, given under the macro, under sort of the macro scale, crypto is is undervalued. But history shows us that we can stay undervalued for years at a time. Um, and so I, I kind of think that we're, we're likely going to just stay between sort of the red line, which is like the fair value, and the lower green line, probably for the rest of this year. It's possible we can poke our head above the red line like we did in 2019. It's also possible it just plays out like 2015 and, and we just sort of drag our feet in this in this area for a while. And then we, we able, were able to sort of muster up the courage to make to make a run to much higher prices once we get to a period of, of quantitative easing. And I, I think that we could argue that, that the halving is a great narrative for Bitcoin, but it's not the only thing. You know, uh, supply supply based models um, are not the only way to model Bitcoin. I think you also have to couple it with with cheap money, like you know, access to cheap capital, and and you could even make the argument that Bitcoin is a measure of excess liquidity in our system, and and altcoins more so that they're they're just measures of excess liquidity. Uh, 
because they are they're very speculative and 99.9% of them actually provide no real utility. Uh, but there are some that I think do. And and those are going to be the, you know, those are going to be the projects that will will likely come back, put in new all-time highs. And and I think utility is is going to really be um the the narrative for you know for future bull for future bull markets. I I I think you know we've had a decade of pure speculation. Um but I, I think it's time that we we really start to develop things that that can make a difference and 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 people can actually see the value in. And and that I think is is what will drive future future adopted uh, adoption. Look at look at you know the dot com um the dot com bubble. And and I mean this is this is something that I've 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 talked about a few times before. But if you if you look at at the dot com bubble, say the 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 Nasdaq, and you look at at what it did in in um in the dot com crash, you could argue that we're in in our in the in a similar thing, right? You know, we had the dot com bowl when the dot com stocks took over the crypto or took over the Super Bowl. What did we have last year in 2022? Right, we had the crypto bowl where crypto stocks took over. And there are some similarities, and that's why you have to consider the downside risk, right? Like the Nasdaq dropped seventy-seven percent back in, you know, back in um, two thousand, two thousand and one. And guess what happened after that drop? It had a sixty percent rally, right? And guess where that sixty percent rally ended? It ended at its fifty-week moving average, right? So you had a seventy-seven percent drop followed by a sixty percent rally to the fifty-week. And I mean, you know, it's not to say that it has to play out in the same way because it, it doesn't, but if you look at Bitcoin, what has happened, you know, since, you know, since this, you know, since 2022, right, it had a 77% drawdown, followed by a 60% rally to its 50 week moving average. So this is I think this is the main downside risk is, is this our, our, is this our dot com? Um, is this is this what we're experiencing right now? And I don't know. I mean, again, from a time based perspective, you could argue the bear market has played its, you know, has, has sort of played has has played its hand. But what we experienced with the Nasdaq back in the 2000s corresponded with a recession as well. And so the question is, is, is this going to also correspond to a recession? And if it does, then it means that this rally has doesn't have much more room to go. I mean, could it go a bit higher for sure? But this is, I think, this is my this is my. Um, you know, the main thing to consider, I, I think, for for the downside risk is, you know, is it playing out in the same way that the dot-com crash played out, where you saw that 77% drawdown, you saw a rally, a 60% rally back to the 50-week, only for us to come back down and and put in a slightly new low. You should note, though, that even though even though the the, the NASDAQ went lower, it, it didn't go that much lower, right? So like, like I, I don't, I don't think people should should just look at this and say like, well, it, you know, because of this, it, it makes sense to do something specific. I mean, you know, if you bought if you bought Bitcoin at 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 fifteen k, and and you're looking at the dot com crash, I mean, it, it did go lower, but I mean, it it didn't go. I mean, it was thirty percent, not even thirty percent lower, right? So I don't know if it's worth losing all your sleep over if it's going to happen or not. But it is it is a potential outcome that we should consider, and. And I, I I think we, you know, it's it's at least worth our attention to sort of consider like, will we get a recession? Will we not? And if if we don't get a recession, if the Fed avoids a hard landing, then you could you could argue the lows are in, right? If 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 we get a soft landing. If if we don't and we get a hard landing, which historically is more likely to happen, then then there there could be more downside. So where I am right now with Bitcoin is, you know, I, I look at all these models that I just I just showed you. Um 
And I, I think there's been a lot of great opportunities to, to sort of dynamically dollar cost average into the market. I think there's going to be plenty more opportunities this year, whether we put in new lows or not. You know, whether we come back down and scrape the, the prior low, like 2015, whether it's a higher low, like 2020, or whether it's a lower low, like the dot-com crash. I still think that 2023 is likely going to be remembered as just an accumulation year. And by the time we're out in 2024 and 2025, um, it's not going to matter is the is the truth right i just don't i don't think these prices are going to really matter too much when we're you know when we're out in 2024 2025 i think we're just going to look at it and sort of laugh at how much we um <laughs> bickered over whether you know 15k was the bottom or if we're going to go to 12k or 13k or or whatever you know it, it just it doesn't really matter in the end it matters to people that are 100% cash um and and i i'll be honest i mean i i do have a really large cash position right now in 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 the in sort of the in the hopes that I, I will get more opportunities, uh, but also the altcoin market. I, I think after we sort of see the altcoin, uh, the 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 finalization of the altcoin reckoning on its on their Bitcoin pairs, um, I, I think that will be the time. Um, I, I think after after that will be the time. And and if you look at if you look at alt Bitcoin pairs, they tend to bottom. Uh, in the last cycle, a lot of them bottomed in um, in the third quarter of 2019. So. You know, if you if you just want to look at this four years, whether the bottom's in or not for Bitcoin, still a good chance alts are going to bleed against Bitcoin for a couple more quarters. You know, out until the uh, the third quarter of of this year, and then and then hopefully from then I can uh, I can just sort of put on my <laughs> rally cap and say, all right, you know, it's time to time to go back up in a in a sustained way. And and I, I think the biggest, if I had to, you know, sort of think about this, I, I think the biggest risk to to um, to not having a position is um, you know, what happens if we just rally, you know, for what happens if we just rally now, um, you know, to 30 K or 40 K or something. And, and, and then you really, and then people could really start to feel like they get left behind. Um, so I think that's, the, I, I think that's the reason why, why it's always worthwhile to have a position in Bitcoin, because you don't know, I mean, you simply don't know what's going to happen. And, and I, I think Bitcoin is a considered a risk on asset. But at some point, it might prove to us that it's a risk-off asset. And I don't know if that's this cycle. I don't know if it's going to be next cycle or the one after that. But you know, this is this is essentially where we are. And and maybe maybe the last, um, the other the sort of the last chart to take a look at is the is sort of the um, the the risk chart. But but looking at it like where it's color coded rather than rather than just sort of the line. So you look at the color coded risk metric. This is what it looks like. So, um, and this includes the social risk, the price risk, the on-chain risk. And I mean, you can see like this first peak, that's where I sold, that's what I sold into. Um, and then this sort of the, the, the summer lull of 2021, I, I reaccumulated. And then over here, it, it took me until January to recognize, all right, like we're done. <laughs> and I, it really sucked. And, and it, and it really took me a long time to come to terms with it. Um, but I, I sold off, I, I sold off most of my altcoins that I, I had reaccumulated back in um, back in the first quarter of 2022, and and I've just been sort of sitting idly by, waiting waiting to uh, to to jump on the altcoin bandwagon again. And I know I've missed a lot of a lot of rallies, but I also I also contend that Bitcoin has been the better the better place to be, and it will still likely continue to be the better place to be even through the early stages of the next bull market. Ben, at the beginning of this year, 
Alf and I put out a 2023 predictions episode, which had not just price stuff. It had to do with the the industry, very like a lot of different things. But we didn't we didn't necessarily agree on everything, and we had a bet, a little friendly wager, that on December 31st, 2023, if if the price of Bitcoin was 29,000 USD, Alf took the over and I took the under. If you had to side with one of us on that bet, who would you side with? I think I'm going to say it's going to be below that by the end of, of Ooh, the year. All right. I like all my right. odds, Alf. I like my that means you're going to owe me a beer too if I win. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm fine to do that. And, and the thing is, like, I can put out this opinion and I can still be happy if it's not. Um, but I will say, I, I will say, I do think regardless, by the end of the year, you're still likely looking at Bitcoin in an uptrend. Like, so like, even if, even if say like the, the lows are not in, or even if we have to go back down, I'd like, I, I think we're, we're likely going to see that before December. So, you know, technically there's always a chance where like, we don't get, you know, we're not by, we're not back to 29 K by the end of the year, but we're at least we can see the path to it, you know, and, and you could argue we can see the path now. I mean, it's not that much higher. Uh, so, so maybe that's another question is like, you know, there's always a chance we hit 29K, but we're not at 29K by the end of the year. You know, like maybe we hit it in the next month. Um, but then we come back down and, and you know, go back to 20K for a while and, and then slowly trim back up. I, I'm going to say it's more likely. I, I would put the probabilities on it. I would say maybe like a 70% probability we're going to be below 29K. Um, and 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 a thirty percent chance that we could that we could be above it is my is my is my best guess. And 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 the main reason I say that is 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 more so because of a recession of a recession risk is that's the main reason. In terms of, I've heard you use this quote before, and I think it's it's such a good one in the sense of bull markets make you money and bear markets make you rich, and so. For somebody listening to this, I mean, you've you've gone through kind of all of the charts and everything along those lines, but kind of what's the single best piece of advice you could give for somebody who maybe got in during the previous bull run? They're they've got, you know, they've been scared away a little bit, but in terms of taking advantage of the situation we're in right now, what's the single piece of advice? Just stay with it. I mean, like we have, I have a ton of indicators on my website. I mean, thousands of charts, but the secret is. I mean, the, the the real secret is you don't need a thousand charts to do well in crypto. You just have to stick around. Is that's the secret? I mean, just stick around, and and you're likely going to do well. Um, I mean, I, you know, I can sit up here and, and talk about all the all the reasons why we might go down. Talk about the downside risk, but you know, we also know that that, and I say this as someone being just being self aware, right? Like, pessimists pessimists sound smart. Optimists get rich. Is the truth. I mean, the markets generally trend up with time, and and. You know, the longer the longer we go of of you know of it, if you only ever listen to the bears, you would never make money. You know, is the truth because even if you, I mean, even if you did risky stuff like short the market, most people, even if the market goes down, you're still going to lose money shorting it because it's probably going to pump before it goes down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would I would say just stick with it. Focus on the blue chips first. Like there's no sense, in my opinion, in focusing on on getting like super large positions in the altcoin market if you don't already have one in Bitcoin and ETH. Because if we have another bull market, which I think we will, Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think will be there for sure. 
There's a lot of altcoins that won't. A lot of altcoins in 2013 did not put in new highs in 2017. A lot of altcoins that put in highs in 2017 did not put in new highs in 2021. Some of them did, but some of them didn't, you know, where they went up to the, the prior high. So I would say it's first important um, to secure positions in the two larger, the, the, the blue chips, Bitcoin and ETH, and, and just to stick with those. And beyond that, like once you feel like you have a comfortable position in those, you can then you could expand out um, to the altcoin market. Is 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 and and right now I'm just in the stage of of basically just being Bitcoin heavy uh, for crypto. And 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 I I think some people might scratch their heads and they might say, well, if Ben's pointing out the downside risk and saying that you know we could go back down to the lows eventually, like does that mean he has no Bitcoin? Like and and that's a, like a, a disconnect. I think like you can have like an academic reason to think we could go back down. But you, you're still going to hedge, but right? you're still going to have a position in Bitcoin. Like you're not going to, you're not just going to sit here and say it has to go down. Because what happens if tomorrow we have a complete meltdown in the financial systems and the Fed pivots six months before people think they're going to? It's not the most likely outcome, but it's an outcome. Yeah. Um, and so you you have to be hedged. So I would say like the the secret to the cryptoverse is is honestly just sticking around and and not losing so much sleep as to whether whether the bottom is in or not. You know, think about it. Everyone worried about whether 17.5 was the bottom. I didn't think it was. And it wasn't. The people who bought at 17.5 or at 20K are still doing well right now. So you could even argue the same thing. Like, even if we go lower, we're still likely just going to recover and, and come back up eventually. It just, you, we just kick the can down the road. So the, I would say the secret is just time. It's nothing more than that. And that's why I say time is on our side. It's not... It's not any more complicated than that. And, and I think the people that do the best are honestly the people that just ignore a lot of the uh, a lot of the discuss the narratives and then just say, you know what, I'm just going to accumulate um, you know, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis from now until the next halving. And 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 we'll see who's laughing at the end, is is I I think, you know, the probably the best strategy and just sort of ignore everything else between now and then. We've talked a lot about like looking at the charts and going through sort of like where we are and what's maybe to come over the next year. But if we look at sort of like a more macro picture and we take all cycles into account, you've talked before about law of diminishing returns and we've and 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 potential like lengthening cycle theory, whether or not that's happening. I wanted to point out and get your thoughts on, for example, where the last cycle peaked. You know, you mentioned you were um, you were selling off when the risk was getting high. But if you look at it, just like just looking at the charts, just visually, I mean, we didn't have like a blow off top, really. I don't think a lot of people would call it the blow off top that we've seen in prior cycles. And then the fact that it came back as it did and put in a higher top in that sort of second peak of this run, I think it took a lot of people by surprise and it didn't really play out the way again. Like you said, it didn't follow the narratives that were happening at the time around 100K and even as crazy as 300K. So what does this mean for the future when we look at it at a grander, more macro perspective? Are we going to see less blow off tops and is it going to potentially lengthen out and are we not going to get the same returns we were getting? What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, that's a good question. So last cycle, I was under the impression that we would see two things, diminishing returns and a lengthened cycle. And that was one of the reasons why I was 
caught off guard by the first parabolic rally. I mean, like I was fully positioned for it. I mean, I had I had all like, you know, tons of crypto. And I, I actually got wrecked in 2018 because I was accumulating back in the summer. And then we only watched everything drop 50%. Um, and on all coins dropped another 80% from there. So I had, I had been accumulating, you know, since late 2018. And I was under the impression that the cycle would go on for a longer period of time. And I was under the impression it would be a double peak cycle, actually. We so, you know, talked about this back in um, you know, in March and April 2021. And and why I was selling off my crypto was because I thought we were at the top of the first peak. Um and we were, you know, we were, and I was right about that. And then in the summer, I was like, all right, this is the chance to accumulate for the second peak, you know, like that, that's likely gonna come in 2022 or maybe even later. Um, was kind of where I was where I was thinking at the time. But I was also under the impression we would see diminishing returns. So I wasn't thinking we were going to go to 300K, but I thought we could make it to 100K. You know, I did think that that was possible. And so what what happened? We got to the, I, I accumulated again in the second, in the summer, because I thought we were going to go back up to a new peak. And we did. But it died before it really got going, you know? And, and um, that was what caught me off guard. And I was like, you know, Every cycle kind of has to be different because it has to throw the people from the prior cycles off guard a little bit, you know, like it has to because what we can't all just sit here and, and buy buy the bottom and sell the top every single time, right? Like someone's got to get wrecked. Uh, I mean, to some degree, it's a zero sum game. Um, so I think we will likely continue to see diminishing returns is my is my opinion. The cycle length, I think, is 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 less important to me now as it was back then. I think we have to be more reactive. As 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 annoying as it is, I think we just have to be more reactive to what the Federal Reserve is doing. I mean, they essentially dictate market cycles. I mean, when when we're in QE, markets go up. When it's QT, markets go down. And and you know, we that's why they say don't fight the Fed. They don't fight the Fed. And, a lot of people are fighting the Fed right now, but arguably one of the reasons that we've seen that is because China reopening, they're injecting injecting a lot of liquidity in the system, Japan as well. Um, and we have the, the debt ceiling issues that, that have led to more liquidity going back in the system. But in the end, um, I, I think you you actually need to see, you know, you ultimately need to see um see see that pivot, I I I would I would say. I'm trying to think what what was the question again? I'm, I think I've gotten off Just track. Just like here. general thoughts on, on oh, yeah, the cycle. macro. Yeah, cycle so I, I think I think we're like going to see diminishing returns again. Um, I don't think it has to lengthen. I mean, it could, but I, I don't think it has to. And as measured from the having last cycle, it did lengthen by about two or three months, just like it had from the having before that one. So maybe that'll happen. Um, where as measured from the having, uh, it could. But also remember the having occurs earlier and earlier in the year. So. You know, this time the having is is going to be coming fairly early on in 2024. So if the if the peak is in the end of 2025 again, it's going to be about the same. You know, it'd be about the same time frame, and and so I think the link doesn't matter necessarily. I think what we'd have to look for is is you know, are are things like is inflation returning? Because if you look at at the 70s, we put in higher highs, but then inflation came back, and we just went down and put in a lower low. Um, so what I would like to see, honestly, if I'm just being you know, I, I completely honest, I would like to see the Fed get inflation under control now, as, even though it's going to be painful. I would like to see them get it under control now, because the alternative is something like the 70s, where we basically just put in higher highs and lower lows for a decade. And, and the price just go, essentially, our returns for the next decade are, are at zero for, for, for long-term people. For swing traders, they love it because they can just trade the range. But for, for people that are 
trying to just build up a portfolio to trend higher with time. If you get a period, a decade of high inflation, it's not good. Um, so what I think, I think we'll see diminishing returns again. So, you know, I, I don't think that the Bitcoin will go up as much as it did last cycle. Last cycle, you know, as measured from the low, let's just say, you know, I mean, the, the low was around $3,000. So, I mean, uh, it, it went up, what, like a little over 20x, you know, 20, 20 something, you know, I mean, it, it, it did a, a pretty good job. This cycle probably won't be that much. You know, I mean, Ethereum itself went up 50x from its bottom. And that was when I was bullish on ETH. I mean, I was very bullish on ETH at $100. And now, I mean, I'm on the record. I've been bearish on the Ethereum Bitcoin valuation for like a year now. And I don't really think Ethereum, I, I think Bitcoin makes more sense at, at this moment. Um, and and we sort of see the comments of like, oh, well, you know, Ethereum's up. But the thing is, is, you know, for the last year, Ethereum has been in a range and it hasn't really gone anywhere. It's not, it's not been a 50x rally, but it also hasn't been like a 50, you know, like an 80% dump either. So I think you're likely just going to see continued consolidation for the rest of this year. Some coins I do think will put in lower prices. And then next year, we'll, we'll, we'll trend higher in a more sustained way, continue on in 2025. Likely see some, some type of top. Um, and, then, and then perhaps another bear market. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't broken yet, right? 2014, yeah. 2018, 2022. <laughs> let's just say, let's put our bear market caps for 2026 unless, unless, there's, unless there's a really compelling reason not to be. I suppose the reason not to be bearish in 2026 would be like if if um if all of 2023 is bearish and and if we're still bearish in 2024 and the market finally turns around in 2025 then I don't know that it would make sense to flip bearish in 2026 but if this if this year is just kind of like a sideways year and then we slowly trend up I mean if it's not broken don't fix it right if it you know if it just um but yeah diminishing returns is is likely going to be a thing and um and it's it's sort of just the reality of it. And you could argue if if you want to draw the the comparison to the dot com crash, um, like if we're if we're unable to put in a higher price than than sixty nine k, which is a chance. There's a chance that that happens. Uh, I would like to be more optimistic and say we will put in a new high, um, just because it's fun. It's fun, like you know, just sort of like going into that and the hype that comes with it. Uh, so that's probably what I'm I'm hoping for the most. But if we don't put in a higher high and we just put in a slightly lower high, then it might just follow the Nasdaq and where the Nasdaq put in a lower high during its next cycle. But then it also put in a higher low. So meaning, meaning whatever the low is this time, whether it's fifteen four or whether we go lower, that would mean the next cycle should be a higher low if it's a lower high. And then on the next cycle, we would. I mean, look at what happened. <laughs> I mean, the Nasdaq went up for like ten years straight after that. Uh, after it broke through. So it, it might just take a bit more time to get there. But I still think, I mean, I still think Bitcoin will will continue trending higher. And eventually, I, I think we'll we'll actually break um, this this diminishing returns. Like I, if something like that were to happen, where we don't put in a higher high, and it's a lower high, and then the next cycle, we kind of just get up to it. I think we would eventually break it and then just go into sort of like a crypto renaissance where, you know, like we... We do something like the NASDAQ where we just get into another decade-long bull market. Um, but I mean, that could be that could be a way a, a little ways off. Ben, this has been such a great conversation, such a great episode. As I mentioned at the top of it, 
I mean, nobody really knows what's going to happen, but I think, you know, if I was a betting person, you're as good as anybody in terms of having an idea of, of at least looking at the charts and, and making some sense of it. We like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions. We ask every single guest. It's a segment we call You Had Me at Crypto. Alf is going to ask you those three rapid fire questions. All right, Ben, you ready for this? Sure. I don't know what they are, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. The first question, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Who's my favorite person to follow? I mean, I would. some are more interesting than others. Um, and, and I would say there's probably reasons I follow some over reasons I follow others. <laughs> um, but And some are, some are more a little bit more flashy, I think. Um, I don't know. This is a tough question to just pick one person. Um, Some of them are just not as interesting. Like I like following people like um, Adam Back just because he's like a crypto OG. Um, but it's not like that's sort of the analysis that people are, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't like looking at that as, as like, you know, super, super flashy. He's just like a crypto OG. I think that stuff is interesting. I also like following, you know, people like Vitalik just because I, I think the development of Ethereum is, is very, very interesting. So I think I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't, there's nothing, no one other specific person I, I think that I, I follow more than others. And, and again, some of the reasons I follow some people aren't necessarily because I like the content they put out. I mean, you know, there, there's, you know, when you look at like the meltdown of, of, of FTX, you know, I, I was following um, Sam quite closely <laughs> during, during that phase. But it's not because I, I <laughs> was super interested in, in what he had to say, but it was just kind of watching the meltdown occur. Yeah. All right. All right. I love it. We've actually had Vitalik a lot. He might be the top pick. So definitely. I, I, just for the record, I, I said a Bitcoin person before Vitalik. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. That is true. Uh, all right. Second question. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? We're going a decade out. 10 years from now. Okay. So um, I so I'm of the opinion that Bitcoin will will get to a million by like 20 I, I it's one of the first videos i have on my channel so if people haven't watched they should watch it um i think it'll hit a million probably further out than you think i'm going to say but I, I think by like 2040 is when mm -hmm. i think bitcoin will get to a million um so like you know 18 or 17 years from now or so um i think within a decade so so 2033 um mm -hmm. So if we were, I mean, even if we were to take the more pessimistic approach and say it follows the NASDAQ, which doesn't have to, but if we take the more pessimistic approach, I would say in 10 years, I would say maybe two, like two or 300,000. That's what I would say, probably. So, so in 2033, because we'd have, we'd, we'd have the 25th, the 2025 or the 2024 having the 2028 having, and we'd also have the 2032 having um, as well. And surely we'll be at periods of, of more loose monetary policy. You remember one of the reasons, look at look at Bitcoin divided by M1. It's just gone sideways for like the last seven or eight years. So as, as, as painful as it is for us, one of the reasons asset prices go up is just because the Fed prints money, you know, and mm -hmm. everything's just inflated. Uh, and same thing with the S&P 500, by the way, if you divide it by M1, it's just gone sideways for decades. <laughs> so I would say, you know, by 2033, I'd say I think we're probably going to be at let's say 300k let's say 300k by 2033 and then by 20 2041 i think is where we'll be around um a million of it all right third question what's the most underrated project in the crypto space 
the most underrated. Um, I mean, there's a different way I can answer this question. My 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 gut tells me Bitcoin just because the dominance is so low and no one else seems to agree with me. Um, beyond that, though, I would. I mean, Ethereum, I guess. I mean, there's. I, I mean, Ethereum is is sort of the backbone to most of the cryptoverse. You know, I don't, I don't see how. Imagine if Ethereum didn't exist, crypto would seem so different. You know, like totally. everything we do, most everything we do is is on Ethereum. I mean, yes, people do other stuff on some of the other chains like Polkadot, Cardano, Solana, Avalanche, but Ethereum is the backbone. And I, I would argue that Ethereum is overvalued with respect to Bitcoin. But over the macro scale, I think it's still undervalued with respect to the rest, you know, the altcoin market. I, I think altcoins are overvalued against Ethereum and Bitcoin, but I also think they're more or less just perpetually overvalued against them. Um, I, I, and I, I even have a, on my website, I have, a, I have a page called, Does It Bleed? And the default is just comparing every, every crypto to Ethereum, you know? Um, and and you can see that almost on almost on almost every time scale, most altcoins bleed back to Bitcoin and and they bleed back to Ethereum. So I mean, I know it's not a flashing answer, and it's probably not the one you're looking for, but um, no, actually, yeah. it is because they are the two biggest. Most people don't call them the most underrated. I I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. I mean, it, look at look at 2013. The the altcoins that were around then, most of them are gone today, right? So if you had said any of them are undervalued, you know, and you had a reality check today, like they don't even exist anymore. You had MadeSafe <laughs> Coin, World Coin, BBQ Coin. BBQ Coin was number eleven in uh in in late 2013. Who 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 here even knows what that is? <laughs> Never heard know? of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and look at and look at 2017. You had um, a lot of cryptocurrencies in the top ten that are are, are not there today. Um, EOS, I mean, one of the biggest one of the biggest raises of, of capital in the cryptoverse we saw. You have a lot of projects that that you know it would have been easy for people to call them undervalued uh, after they lost a lot of their valuation, but they just sort of wither away into the cryptoverse, never to be heard of again. So never to be heard from again. So I would I would say Bitcoin and Ethereum are 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 going to be undervalued and. And and um, you know, as they say, a rising tide lifts all boats. If if they go up, they can they can lead to the altcoin market going up. But it doesn't change the fact that most altcoins are bleeding back to Bitcoin and back to Ethereum over the macro scale. Ben, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for joining Alf and I on our 100th episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thanks for having me. And again, if if you're here from my channel, make sure you subscribe. Uh, it's always always good to you know help you know when when you start off a, a channel and you're and you're you know you're a smaller channel it's hard to get that traction going so make sure you guys subscribe uh, to these guys show them the the support and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys blowing up here in the next bull run. Let's <laughs> hope so. Thank Fingers you, ben. crossed. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.